Hi, yeah, so if you didn't catch it, my name's Hannah, and I'll be doing our Bible readings for us today. Um, the first one's from 1 John chapter 2, and we're going from verse 1 to 11. I know it's a 17, but we're going to 11. Um, so yeah, if you want to bring out your Bible or follow along behind me. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. And for our second reading today, we're flipping back to John, um, chapter 13, verse 33 to 38. Um, so again, if you just want to flip back in your Bible or on your phone, or it'll be behind me. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you: love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter said to him, asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Good morning, everyone. My name is Mike Sampson. I haven't met you before. And uh, it's my uh, uh, privilege to be with you to open up God's Word and reflect on it on this uh, Father's Day. So let me pray and then we'll, um, we'll consider 1 John together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can... Uh, spend our uh, time in fellowship together. Uh, we can spend our, our time opening up your word and not just thinking about our dads, but seeing how we relate to you as our father. And we pray that we are challenged to go away today with a passion and heart for wanting to love you and, obedient, and to be obedient to your ways. Amen. Um, Father's Day is a day for celebrating fathers. It's because fathers are good. 
we like our fathers. But on a day like today, we all have different emotions. It's a day of emotions, whether they're good or bad in, in many ways. There's lots of feelings of being appreciated. There's joy. There's heartache. There's sadness. And some, there might even be anger. And for many of us, it's a day where we're thankful to dads and we even remember dads who sadly are no longer with us. I'm thankful that my dad even loves me as an adult. They didn't clock off once I turned 18 and left and went into state. That he still loves me. And even as I think back to as a kid, how do I know that dad loved me then? It's because one of the reasons, the standout reason, is that He took us four boys, me and my three brothers, to so many sporting activities. Week in, week out, midweek, all weekend. He did that. And I realised that that was an act of love because you know what he preferred to be doing? Playing sport himself, playing golf. And he gave that up for a long time. But then as an adult, even this year, a few months ago, he came and looked after the kids for us when Jen and I had to go away for two different separate things and we realised the kids are going to be home by themselves. And he stepped in. That was a great act of love. Many of us have stories like that about our dads, our parents, that we reflect on on a day like today. And as we move into today's passage, we're not actually just thinking about God, our Father, but we're actually thinking about how we, if we follow Jesus, how we relate to him. As Scott already said, how we know him. Knowing not just in knowledge, but in an actual relationship with him. What does that look like for us? But as we do that, I want to take us back to the one sensible thing that Pirate Pete said. The, the verse in 1 John. We're in 1 John chapter 2 today, but you can't help but go to chapter 3 verse 1 because it is such a beautiful picture of what our God, our Father, is actually like. So let's just start there to own ourselves to who is this God that we're going to spend time thinking about we should relate to. Just let's go back to 1 John chapter 3 verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And not, yeah, that's a pretty good thing, we'll move on from that. John says, and that is what we are, is what he ends that with. How good is the God of all the universe wanting to be our Father? And he starts it off, he says, see what great love. Not think about having a, some kind of epiphany moment, look at something, which we'll see a little bit later, Look at something, see the great love of God our Father and consider it to be a lavishing, a absolutely pouring out on you as his children who he loves. Far greater than ever ever travelling around uh, to his kids to sport. Far bigger lavishing than that. This kind of love, when we see it in our dad's, is what we love more than anything else and it's what hurts us and it's not like that. We can feel it acutely. But when we feel it acutely, as some of us may, we can come back to the God, our Father, 
and see his perfect love that is far better than even the best of human dads. So however you feel like a day like today, today, our hope for all of this is that we can see there's a God who loves you dearly and wants to be your father. And we're going to consider how we relate to a God like that. Now, as we do that, in 1 John, because we're kind of going back and forth in 1 John um, over months, let's remind ourselves, why did John write this letter? Because it's such a great reason to write a letter and a great reason for us to consider it. Why did John write this letter? Why did he write it? Well, he told us very simply. That's why we uh, call this series in John, Confidence in the Gospel. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. John is wanting these Christians he's writing to, to have confidence that their relationship with God will be into all eternity. And he wants them to hold on to that. And so that is the framework in which we think about how we relate to our Father today. So let's get stuck into just these few verses. And next week we're going to finish off chapter 2 as we come back to the second half uh, from, from verse 12 onwards. And the first thing I think we see is that knowing God involves two things. Let's have a look at the first three verses. Knowing God involves two things. Verse 3, we know that love, and we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is made truly complete in them. There is a connection between two things. See, what, what's involved in knowing God, our Father? Two intimately connected things, and those things are love and obedience. You see, he starts with commands, doesn't he? He says, keep commands. He starts with saying, you do what God wants. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him but does not do what he commands, a liar. So you actually, if you in a relationship with God, you want what he wants. This is the simple way of putting it. But why? There's something that that is connected to profoundly. The love for God is truly made complete in them. In verse 5. You obey God's word, it's the end point of you actually loving God in response to his love to you. See, we have confidence that we're in a relationship with him because we have a totally different orientation to how we see God because of what Jesus has done. You see, love does not stop with a thought. Hmm, I love that person. Love does not start with a feeling. That's kind of nice. Love does not stop with a vibe. It's kind of cool, isn't it? Love continues all the way into action. They're deeply connected. And we know any loving relationship that we experience together that's where it ends, isn't it? You can't love someone and then your actions contradict that love. And so if you 
I mean, a relationship with God, it's not about rule keeping. It's about going, I love him so much and he's the Lord of the universe. I want what he wants. Love and obedience as the response. But you know what? I actually think when we push a bit harder, this gets a little, it can be a little bit confusing, particularly if we jump back to chapter one and remember what we saw in chapter one. You see, I I think we've got to go, okay, yeah, love and obedience, but hang on a minute. Didn't something happen earlier? Maybe, Maybe I'm a bit confused. I want to share with you my confusion as I was wrestling with this passage, okay? So in John chapter one, uh, verse eight, a famous verse, often when we acknowledge our sin uh, to God together, we remind ourselves of the forgiveness that we have in Jesus and we use 1 John chapter eight, uh, uh, 1 John chapter one, verses eight and nine. And in verse eight, we say, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, if we claim to be without sin, we're lying. But we're just told we're supposed to keep God's commands. So we've got to keep his commands, but we're sinning. There's a little contradiction going on. We all sin. We can't be perfect. But if we don't keep his commands, we don't know that we're in a relationship with him. What's, what's going on? Well, in between these two uh, verses... And this idea is the one who steps in to fix up this problem. Last time we, uh, we looked at 1 John, we just spent our whole time in these two verses. And if you want to go back and really think about what, what they do, but right in between these two verses about our sin or following Jesus, we see what he has done. Have a look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, we can't be perfect and God knows we can't be perfect. That's why Jesus came. He steps into our place. This is the lavishing love in, in chapter 3, verse 1, that we're supposed to see. That Jesus sacrifices himself for us in our place because we have turned away from God. And Jesus steps into our place as our advocate. And so we don't deny that we sin, but we seek not to because Jesus has dealt with it for us. So when we read in chapter 2, verses 3 and following that we should keep his commands, it's not about keeping his commands to make a relationship with God or to be perfect because that's not possible. It's a totally different orientation towards how we see this relationship because God has dealt with our problem. So because Jesus has made us right with God, we have a desire to keep his commands, to do what he wants. When we get it wrong, we deal with it instead of thinking, it's okay, it doesn't matter. And because we love God, we want to keep pleasing him more and thinking, I no longer want to be that type of person. And we don't do any of this 
to think, if I just obey God more, he'll then be happy with me. Because that's not what a father does. A father loves unconditionally. And God, our father, sent his son, who willingly went to the cross to deal with our sin, that he lavishes his love on us that unconditionally. So we think about love and obedience not as seeking perfection because we can't, but as wanting to relate to God in a way that pleases him. So let's go back to verses 3 and 5. And what we see in these verses is just a beautiful picture of how we relate to God. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Think about if you're someone who, you know that point where you became a Christian. Before you became a Christian, before you decided that Jesus was the Lord of your life and you trust in him, how did you think about whether God wanted you to do things or not? You probably didn't even care or you didn't think about it or you knew he didn't want you to do it, but you ignored it. Or you just thought maybe he doesn't even exist so I can just do whatever I want. But now, we've come to know him, we want what he wants. You see, obedience is not about rules, it's not about do's and don'ts, it's not about getting this or doing that, it's actually asking the question, what does God want for my life? Because that's what I want. It's a perfect expression of love. Love lands in action. The son willingly went to the cross as an expression of love for us and as a faithful, loving obedience to his father. So how do we think about this love? Well, I think if the first point is that we relate to God our Father with love and obedience, the second point is we, deep, we dig deeper into what that love looks like. That knowing God involves a love that abides in Jesus, that is totally wrapped up in who he is, that dwells in him. Have a look at what he says um, in verses 7 to 8. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. That's classic kind of John uh, language, right? I'm not writing an old command. Uh, You've got an old command. I'm writing you a new command, but it's not really new because it's old. John, just give it to me straight. What's he actually saying, right? It's classic John, but it's actually very clever. It's very helpful. Because what he's actually saying is, Jesus has just taken the command to love one another and give it a new location and a new depth. Have a look at the reading that we had earlier, the other reading. Jesus said, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. It's not you. They knew they were supposed to love each other as I have loved you. 
And so by this, in verse 35, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, what does he go on to talk about? He talks about laying down his life. And John does this all the time. The beauty of one John, and the wife, why for some of you it frustrates you because it's not linear, and why I like it because it's a bit chaotic, he goes around in circles all the time. He picks up this idea of love again in chapter 4, and he says, you love one another, but you don't love, God loves you first. And, and God loves you first, and how do you know God loves you? Because Jesus laid down his life. He does it all the time. You see, Jesus is the example that we have to saturate ourselves in. Not from a distance, but intimately. To see him, to see what he wants from us, to be transformed by him. A simple way of putting it is, we love each other with the sort of love modelled to us by Jesus. See, love characterises the relationship Jesus had with his Father. Love characterises the relationship the Father had with Jesus. It's a father and son in a perfect loving relationship. I'd like to think that I have a really good loving relationship with my kids. Good, they're not storming out. But I think I'm going a little bit too far if it's all perfect. We have had the odd argument. Just the odd one. Why are you laughing? Uh, what's... <laughs> but the father and the son, never in the heavens, getting stuck into each other, right? They'll be perfect, loving harmony. How extraordinary. That is our God. And where to see that? And if we had further time, we'd go back into John's gospel and see how this love relationship between them plays out in John 14 and chapter 3 and 15. It's all throughout. John is so passionate for us to see it. Ultimately, Jesus' love is expressed in his obedience to the Father's will. This is what Jesus said in chapter 14, verse 31. It's not on the screen, so just listen to it. 14.31 The world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. It's not a tyrant telling his son what to do in some kind of grand uh, cosmic child abuse. It's a father who's asked his son to make an extraordinary sacrifice in love and the son going, yes, because I love you and I love our creation, I will. Therefore, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're to reflect that sort of love. I love expressed through committed obedience. As I have loved you, points to Jesus' most immediate act of love that he did just earlier in, um, in the gospel when he washed the disciples' feet to point them to the cross. Jesus got down in the dirt and did the most lowest thing that he could possibly do as a servant and washed his disciples' grubby, dirty feet as an act of love when he is the creator of all things, who made them in his image, 
and by all things were made through him and for him and by him. And there he is in the dirt washing their feet. We love by deeply knowing Jesus. But then thirdly, John takes us on a, maybe a little sidetrack. The thing that maybe can be the danger for us in this desire to love and respond to God in this way. When we can be tempted to hate. He doesn't pull his punch. He doesn't say, when you don't like someone, sometimes you are going to have that feeling of bitterness and hatred towards others. That we, as a community, could foster hatred towards one another. And it might only be expressed in ourselves, or it could cause conflict in the church if it's expressed outwardly. And he deals with it head on. Have a look um, at verse 9 to 11. Anyone who claims to be in the light, which he's talked about a lot, and he does through 1 John, light and darkness, light being those who follow Jesus. Anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates a brother or sister, is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Brothers and sisters, you cannot fester in hatred and know God. Look at the strong words. It's more than likely, and we'll deal with this more next week, that what was going on for the community John was writing to, there were people from within them who were acting not out of love and obedience. There was people within them who actually we'll see next week were saying you don't even need to really acknowledge Jesus. That's why he has this liar language. And he's dealing with it head on. And he's saying we can't let bitterness, because someone has maybe actually done us wrong, lead us to out and out hatred. When we have that, we go back to what we saw before. If you, if, um, you try and not sin, but if you do sin, Jesus has died for us. So we turn back to him and trust in him and we deal with those feelings of hatred. can't let it fester and so he points to the positive side in verse 10 doesn't he anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble it's extraordinary when we can love and forgive a christian community should not primarily it should have this it should reflect loving and servant hardness and all those things it should have all of that but what at the heart really should drive a christian community grace and forgiveness if we're only really willing to be christians with each other when we're not getting it wrong what kind of community is that but when we're truly loving the way that god wants us to we do the one thing that jesus never had to do we ask for forgiveness we accept the uh the apology with grace and we seek reconciliation It's more than likely, many of us, if not all of us, if we truly think about our past, and maybe even something now is raw about this, we are confronted by times when we can actually be thinking of a person right now where they can easily fit that bill for us. I remember as a teenager, I had a whole bunch bunch of people in my years who 
Really, they just screwed me over and I hated them. And I remember becoming a Christian as a young adult and realizing I'm not maybe going to ever see them again, but I've actually got to change the attitude. What would I do if I did see them again? And that was really hard. But that was the shift that needs to take place. And as I think of now of people who may wrong who may wrong me, and I have no doubt there are people that I have wronged in my sin accidentally. How do I think about it? Well, as Jesus has loved me, as Jesus has loved you, that is the model of love and obedience that we need to consider. It's a great passage because it really pushes us hard, doesn't it? It pushes us not to just see Jesus, but to push us to be right there with him and to love like him and to obey like him. And that's where I want us to finish today. I want to ask you three questions. First of all, very simply, we don't want to jump the gun. Do you know God? See, if you go away today and you haven't actually made a decision to follow Jesus, but you walk out thinking, I'm just going to love like God and I'm going to try and obey him more, you've missed the point. First and foremost, you need to see that Jesus has died for you and that you trust in him and that you give your life to him. And that would be the greatest Father's Day ever if you made that decision today. God in heaven would see you as his child who he wants to lavish his love on. And you can make that decision today. You can explore it further. I encourage you to do that. If you're wrestling with this, I'd love to talk to you. I'm sure Scott would love to talk to you. Ada, if you have a friend here, don't let that pass you by. But as followers of Jesus, and this is about having confidence in a relationship with him so that we may know. I've got a kind of a weird question. How do you know you know? <laughs> How do you know that you have a relationship with God. Well, you've trusted in Him. And you've committed to a lifelong commitment to responding in love and obedience, not a lifelong commitment to perfection or getting to perfection. A lifelong commitment of being in relationship with Him that's already been saved. And you know this because two things matter to you for the rest of your life. Living a life of sacrifice like Jesus and repentance, turning back to God when you get it wrong. These things matter. We don't need to be riddled with, oh, do I know God? Do I not know God? Have you decided Jesus is your Lord? Are you committed to living a life in response to that? John is saying to you today, Rest in that and the confidence in the gospel. And I'm encouraging you today to rest in that assurance of faith. It's a great thing. Now, last question. How are you going to foster love and obedience? See, you can foster love and obedience 
in your own power. You can decide what's right and what's wrong. We can foster love in all these different things that we choose to do. And we can foster love in the things that we like, the way that we like to receive love. I, I like gifts. Give me things, that's good. I, that's the, I like that. That's not particularly wrong. It could get materialistic. But I like receiving things. So that's how I need to love all the time. No. You like to be a person who does things for other people. And so that's all you ever do and you love. They're all good things. But that's not how we figure it out, is it? We figure it out by how does Jesus love? We foster real love and obedience by coming back to him. Asking the question, what does God want? Do you have any blind spots now that need to be no longer blind? Do you have any uh, aspects in your life that you're not willing to consider changing? God our Father today saying to you, I want you to know I love you and that you can live for me. See, all of us, that's what we want for our community. We want our kids not to be out there knowing that they need to just be more loving or more kind. We want them to know that Jesus loves them and because Jesus loves them, how are you going to respond to that? Let's pray that that's the kind of community we will be, a community of loving and obedience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you, a Father who lavished love on us by sending your Son, has made it possible that we can have a relationship with you that we can actually respond in love and obedience. Forgive us when we get it wrong. Transform us to live more and more sacrificially, lovingly, with grace and forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.